murder, a primal evil that lurks in mankind, in all of us the ability, in some of us the drive. Some killers are caught and brought to trial. Others escape justice to live and die in infamy. These individuals are examined here on MurderCast. Universal Pictures, The Snowman. Based on the international bestseller by Joe Nesbo. Directed by Thomas Alfredson. Follow two detectives as they track the most elusive serial killer the country of Norway has ever seen. Starring Michael Fassbender and Rebecca Ferguson. In theaters now, The Snowman. MurderCast deals with mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. A picture is worth a thousand words, but there are no words to describe the fate that befell Brenda Sue Schaefer from Louisville, Kentucky. In the early morning hours of Sunday, September 25th, 1988, the white Buick Regal belonging to 36-year-old medical assistant Brenda Schaefer is found along the westbound shoulder of Interstate 64. The car has been broken into, vandalized, the car stereo is missing, and its right rear tire is flat. Curiously, the car is found only a mile from Brenda's home. Detective Jim Ennis of the St. Matthews Police Department contacts Detective Jim Wesley and asks for the case to be taken over by Jefferson County Police Department. Detective Jim Wesley. My gut feeling tells me that this could be much more than a missing persons case. Three hours earlier, at 3.30 a.m., Brenda's mother, Elise, worried that her daughter has not yet arrived home, calls her fiancé, Mel Ignato. Ignato tells her that Brenda left his house about 11.30 on Saturday night. My God, she left here around 11.30 p.m. Mel Ignato is a 50-year-old divorced father of three. At six foot five inches tall, the furniture salesman is slightly awkward and is known for being an obsessive compulsive neat freak. Mel and Brenda met two years earlier in the fall of 1986. Brenda is only five foot three a striking contrast to Mel's towering frame. Brenda is petite, beautiful, and fond of wearing diamond jewelry. She is drawn to older men, and though Ignato is not particularly attractive, he showered her with gifts of roses and expensive jewelry. The two were soon engaged, but by the fall of 1988, the relationship had deteriorated Brenda is not one to display affection readily and even feels uncomfortable doing something as simple as hugging a person. Also, Mel's compulsive and controlling nature begins to wear on Brenda. He has been known to fly off the handle at the tiniest things, such as Brenda not tearing off the toilet paper neatly and not lining up the bathroom sink handles evenly. Brenda confides to her brother's girlfriend, Linda, 
that she is planning on breaking off the relationship with Mel and had already rekindled a relationship with an ex-boyfriend, Jim Rush. Brenda had gone to Ignato's that Saturday to return some jewelry of his and to end the relationship. She had not been seen since. Sunday morning, family members meet at her parents' home to begin searching for Brenda and to think of places where she might be. That morning, Melignato also shows up to the family home, and they grow suspicious of him. No one in Brenda's family liked Melignato, seeing him as self-absorbed, condescending, and pompous. He is also known to Brenda's friends as a boastful liar, claiming to be part of the CIA and having $300,000 in cash in China. Brenda's brother Tom said, He's a man who is much in love with the sound of his own voice. He would not only dominate a conversation, he would be the conversation. Ignato seems agitated and worried, but the display of emotion seems staged. Again, her brother Tom Schaefer. He would cry, but there never seemed to be any tears, which is very strange. Detectives also experience Ignato's controlling nature firsthand when they question him the following day at his residence. Immediately, Ignato takes an intimate tone and begins calling the detectives by their first names, something that annoys the detectives. Ignato also begins asking them a lot of his own questions regarding Brenda's car and what evidence they'd found. Detective Jim Wesley lies to Ignato, telling him they have not yet found the car. Ignato proceeds to recall the timeline of the Saturday Brenda went missing, but he is reading from written notes instead of simply recalling what occurred only one day ago. Detective Jim Wesley. He had a lot of notes sitting there on the kitchen table. He had the whole day's events written down, which we thought was very bizarre. He had notes for that interview. Ignato tells investigators that he asked Brenda to pick him up that Saturday. She arrived around 3 p.m., and they went to a boat show. Because it was raining, they decided against getting out and instead stayed talking inside the car. After a while, they drive to an art fair. It was still raining, so they opted to stay in the car again and talked for a while longer. Detectives point out that none of what Melignato has told them can be corroborated by witnesses. He replies with, Well, I guess this makes me look like a suspect, doesn't it? It certainly does. While authorities continue to search for Brenda, they also focus their investigation on Ignato and interview his neighbors, his ex-wife, and his ex-girlfriend, Marianne Shore. After interviewing Brenda's family and co-workers, a dark and sadistic picture of Melignato is revealed. He demanded deviant sexual behaviors from Brenda, including group sex and bondage. Brenda resisted, but Mel was persistent. Linda Love, the girlfriend of Brenda's brother Tom, told police that Brenda had confided in her details about her troubled relationship with Melignato saying he was controlling and had sexually abused Brenda. Brenda was afraid of Mel, but she made me promise not to tell anyone. 
she had told me things that he did to her. One particularly disturbing story she relays to detectives occurred while on vacation with Ignato. Brenda awoke to Ignato standing above her, holding a rag doused with chloroform over her face. The fumes burning her nose and throat. Chloroform is a chemical used in the production of Teflon. When inhaled, it can render a person unconscious in minutes. Because of this effect, chloroform has been used in the past by serial killers such as Chicago's Dr. H.H. Holmes. Startled and confused by what was happening, Brenda demanded to know what Ignato was doing. Melignato said, It'll relax you and help you sleep. Detective Wesley is certain that Melignato had something to do with Brenda Schaefer's disappearance. But without a body, police cannot act on their suspicions. After weeks of the case stagnating, Detective Wesley becomes frustrated and takes a fresh look at the case file, revisiting a statement by Ignato's ex-girlfriend, Marianne Shore. The detective suspected that Marianne Shore was not telling everything she knew about the case. In fact, he believed she was outright lying to police. Wesley invited Marianne down to the police station for a polygraph test. She flunks the test. At this point, Marianne is very nervous. Authorities decide to drop her off at work, but keep surveillance on her. Shortly thereafter, Melignato arrives and, even though there is a torrential rainfall, the two pace up and down the street, talking. Detective Jim Wesley said, We knew that the conversation had to be serious because, I mean, this was a downpour. Authorities decide to take this opportunity to rattle Ignato by surrounding them with their unmarked police cars and take Marianne Shore back to the police station for further questioning. Detective Jim Wesley. I yelled, Marianne, Brenda Schaefer was beautiful. Mel loved Brenda Schaefer and he killed her. I said, you're fat, you're ugly, and I'm telling you, he's gonna kill you. But Marianne Shore says nothing. Detective Jim Wesley. She just lowered her head, closed her eyes, and I felt for a fleeting moment that she's going to raise back up and say, okay, here's what happened. But she didn't. With their plan of using Marianne Shore to crack the case proven unsuccessful, authorities must come at Ignato from a different angle. A year after Brenda disappears, U.S. Attorney Scott Cox is assigned to the case. Cox decides to use Ignato's pompous nature against him. Because of the negative publicity Ignato has received from the press, he has lost his job and has found it difficult to gain employment because he would be bad for business. Cox tries to talk Ignato into testifying before a grand jury. A grand jury is much like a trial jury, but instead of deciding guilt or innocence, a grand jury gives an opinion as to whether there is enough evidence to bring criminal charges against a suspect. Cox tells Ignato and his attorney that it is in Ignato's best interest to testify, tell his side of the story, and clear the air. Cox further entices Ignato by telling him that after the grand jury testimony, Mel Ignato and his attorney 
may hold a press conference on the courthouse steps, showing the public that he is forthright and attempting to help in the investigation. U.S. Attorney Scott Cox. He could get out on the courthouse steps and say, I volunteered to come down here. I'm trying to assist authorities in this case and really shift the community's eye away from him onto somebody else. Ignato agrees to do so and testifies before the grand jury. No new information is revealed, and Ignato sticks to the same story as before, claiming no responsibility for Brenda's disappearance. But during his testimony, he admits to having sex with Marianne Shore only a month after Brenda disappeared. Because Ignato brought her name into the grand jury testimony, this allows Marianne Shore to be called as a witness. U.S. Attorney Scott Cox now subpoenas Marianne Shore to testify before the grand jury. When Shore is asked how many times she's seen Brenda Schaefer, she claims that she's only seen her once at a bar. However, a few minutes later, she is asked to describe what Brenda Schaefer looked like, to which she answers. You mean the last time I saw her? When Cox points out that only minutes before she had testified only seeing Brenda one time, something startling happens. Marianne abruptly gets up and runs out of the room. U.S. Attorney Scott Cox. She stood up and said, I need to talk to my lawyer, and fled the grand jury room. It was fascinating. I've never seen a witness do that before or since. Aware that they are onto something, investigators keep the pressure on Shore, calling her lawyer on a daily basis. A week later, Shore's attorney schedules a meeting with U.S. Attorney Cox, negotiating a deal for Marianne. At one point, Marianne's lawyer comes back into the room and asks, What if she knows where the body is? Everyone is stunned. This is the break in the case investigators had been hoping for. A deal is struck, and in exchange for Marianne's cooperation, she will only be charged with tampering with evidence instead of murder. As shocking as the admission of knowledge where Brenda's body was, nothing could have prepared investigators for the shocking details Marianne Shore would divulge next. The disturbing details of how the murder happened. We were all stunned. I think we were all pretending that it wasn't bothering us, that we were professionals, but all of us were churning inside, said U.S. Attorney Scott Cox. Marianne Shore recounts that on the night she vanished, Melignato drives Brenda over to Marianne's house under the guise of showing Marianne some of Brenda's jewelry. The house is small, dark, dingy and squalid, set back from the main road. Behind the home sits a large wooded area. Once Ignato and Brenda enter the house, Ignato deadbolts the door, locking them all inside. Marianne and Melignato sat on either side of Brenda, and Ignato announced that they were going to have a sex therapy class. Brenda resists at first, but feeling intimidated and outnumbered, she relents to Ignato's orders. He commands Brenda to strip naked and begins taking pictures with a camera he has brought along as she does so. Brenda feels humiliated and begins to cry. 
He then ties Brenda's arms and legs to the coffee table. Ignato hands the camera to Marianne Shore, telling her to take pictures, but avoid photographing his face. He then proceeds to rape, abuse, and torture Brenda. Marianne, as instructed, snaps pictures of the attack. The fastidious Ignato has even brought a list he prepared of what he planned to do to Brenda and checks off items one by one as he perpetrates them. Subsequently, Ignato takes Brenda to a back bedroom where he again rapes, sodomizes, and beats her with a paddle. Brenda is crying and sobbing as Ignato takes chloroform and holds it up to Brenda's face. The fumes burn her nose and mouth. He holds it there until she's dead. After Brenda's agonizing death, Ignato ties her up in a fetal position and puts her into garbage bags. He enlists the help of Marianne and they both carry the body through the pouring rain, burying her body in a pre-dug hole in the wooded area behind the house. Back inside the house, Ignato gathers Brenda's jewelry that he removed from Brenda's body before they buried her, including the diamond engagement ring he gave her. Marianne gives him the three rolls of film documenting their horrific crime. Marianne adds that all of this had been meticulously planned weeks in advance. She and Ignato had dug the grave previously and even scream-tested the house to make sure no one would be able to hear the torture, rape, and brutal murder of Brenda Schaefer. Detective Jim Wesley is called, and Brenda's gruesome death is relayed to him. It made me physically ill. It really did. And I'm not one to become that way. I had already been in homicide nine years and worked many a grotesque crime, but this, this one got to me. To prove she was telling the truth, Shore agreed to wear a wire and talk to Ignato about the murder. A few hours later, she meets Ignato in the parking lot of an ice cream parlor. Police listen in on the conversation. I talked to my attorney today. Talk to who today? The FBI, that Murray guy. You're just plain goddamn afraid to stand up in the face of authority. That's all it amounts to. You're letting them intimidate you and they know I'm it. worried about the property back there. I am not. That's it, okay? I don't give a goddamn if he tells you they're gonna dig eight feet down the whole damn length of the property, okay? Don't get rattled. It isn't gonna stir up anything, believe me. It's not shallow. That place we dug, it's not shallow. On the morning of January 10th, 1990, Melignato is arrested for the murder of Brenda Schaefer. Later that day, authorities locate her remains in exactly the spot Marianne Shore said it would be. Police descend on his home and search for evidence, finding the shovel used to dig Brenda's grave, the paddle used to beat her, and the camera used to record the assault. Missing are the rolls of film and Brenda's jewelry. Detective Jim Wesley. We looked high and low. We 
down the basement and we went up to the ductwork and insulation. I mean, we really felt like we had done a professional job of searching that home. Frustrated that key pieces of evidence are missing, they search Ignato's home once again, two weeks later. Again, the search turns up nothing, but believing they have enough evidence, authorities charge Ignato with assault, sodomy, kidnapping, and murder. Ignato's arrest is the only semblance of justice that Brenda's parents live to see. Six months after burying Brenda, her mother dies after suffering a long battle with lupus. Seven months after that, Brenda's father dies from heart disease. Though Ignato's attorney lost a motion to have the recorded conversation between Ignato and Marianne Shore suppressed, he is successful in moving the trial over 100 miles away to Kenton County, Kentucky, where the case is not as infamous. In December of 1991, the trial finally begins, and prosecutors lay out their case, evidence, and star witness, Marianne Shore. While prosecutors believe they have a strong case, a body, a witness to the murder, and a taped phone conversation with Ignato talking of the murder, they are hampered by three issues. One, there is no fingerprint, blood, or semen evidence because Brenda's body was not found until 15 months later. Two, the words body, Brenda, or grave were never mentioned on the taped conversation between Shore and Ignato. And three, their star witness Marianne Shore comes off cold and very unlikable to the jury. During her testimony, she wore a short, tight skirt and had bleached her hair blonde. Author Bob Hill, who wrote a book about the case, stated, She did a poor job of testifying. She wasn't properly dressed. She crossed her legs. She came across as a woman capable of murder. Ignato's defense attorney saw an opportunity and painted Marianne Shore as Brenda's murderer giving the classic, jealous girlfriend as the motive. Ignato's attorney asserts that, She fulfills that promise that she made to herself and to others, that if she can't have Mel Ignato, nobody can have Mel Ignato. The defense also reveals Marianne's plea bargain, citing it as the reason she is testifying against Ignato, to save herself from the death penalty. On December 21st, 1991, the prosecution and defense rest their cases, with Melignato never having taken the stand in his own defense. The jury deliberates for six hours, coming back with their decision. We, the jury, find the defendant, Melvin Henry Ignato, not guilty under instruction number one. It's a devastating verdict to the Schaefer family. Melignato is found not guilty on all seven counts. Brenda's brother, Tom. It went through me like a knife. It was like somebody pulled the world out from underneath you. Everyone's extremely upset. A lot of people were crying. Two days later, on December 23rd, an elated Melignato is released from prison and comments, I think it's the greatest Christmas present I ever had. I want to take this opportunity to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for delivering me from this and freeing me from the bonds of incarceration. 
Ironically, after her plea deal and begging for mercy from the court, Marianne Shore is given the maximum sentence for tampering with evidence, five years in prison. While Marianne sits in prison, Melignata walks free, acquitted of all charges against him. But prosecutors were not giving up on getting a measure of justice for Brenda Schaefer. They decide to go after Ignato for perjury charges, for lying during his grand jury testimony. But in October 1992, only days prior to when his perjury trial is set to begin, a gruesome discovery is made. Having sold his home to pay for his legal defense, Melignato's former home is being renovated by the new owners. While replacing the carpet in the living room, a workman finds a hidden heating vent with a Ziploc bag taped to the inside. Inside the bag, there are three canisters of film and women's jewelry. The homeowner calls the FBI and hands over the evidence. The jewelry is identified as Brenda's and the film is developed. Over a hundred photos depicting Malignato raping, assaulting, and torturing Brenda Schaefer. The horrific story Marianne Shore testified to is corroborated with every perturbing frame. The last moments of Brenda Schaefer at the hands of Malignato are documented in these disgusting pictures. U.S. Attorney Scott Cox. They're just gruesome. It's like looking at a snuff film. At the beginning, you can tell that she's mortified and she's being ordered to disrobe and, and so forth. And then it depicts her being sexually assaulted. With the release of this news, the community of Louisville, Kentucky is stunned. Ignorant jurors who were heard joking and bantering during deliberations at the time of Ignato's trial were now somber and contrite. One commented, We were wrong. We failed. We failed the state of Kentucky. We failed Brenda Schaefer's family. We failed a lot of people. That this, in our hearts, I feel we did what we thought was right at the time. Of course, even more shocking than the discovery of the incriminating pictures was the realization that authorities would not be able to retry Melignato for the murder of Brenda Schaefer. The double jeopardy clause of the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution states that, once acquitted of a crime in a court of law, no person can be prosecuted for that same crime, even if indisputable evidence is discovered after the fact. Melignato was a rapist, sexual sadist, kidnapper, and murderer, and he was free. But he had also committed perjury lying under oath to the FBI during his grand jury testimony, saying he had nothing to do with Brenda's disappearance. This was the only chance prosecutors had left to bring Ignato to justice. He was offered a deal of eight years in prison in exchange for a public confession. Because of the overwhelming evidence, Ignato decides to plead guilty to perjury and states in open court, Yes, I killed her. And then, turning to Brenda Schaefer's family in the courtroom. But she died peacefully. The courtroom is disgusted as a smiling Ignato is taken away to prison. After being given two years credit for time spent in jail during his trial, 
Ignato is released only five years later, in February 1998. In 2002, he is sentenced to nine years in prison on another perjury charge, but serves only four and is released once again in 2006. Though Ignato served no jail time for Brenda's murder, his accomplice Marianne Shore is sentenced to five years in prison and died in 2004. While in prison, Melignato claimed to have found Jesus and was convinced he was forgiven for his sins. In an interview with journalist Craig Hoffman after his release from prison, Ignato was asked, The whole time you knew you killed Brenda Schaefer? Sure, sure. And you think God has forgiven you for that murder? Sure. Don't you believe in that? During the last few years of his life, Melignato, now elderly, was apparently in very poor health. Upstairs neighbors would constantly hear him through the ceiling. I used to hear him all night, asking for Jesus to come get him because he was in a lot of pain. On September 1st, 2008, something did come for Malignato. A neighbor entered Ignato's apartment and discovered his body, covered in blood. Ironically, Ignato had fallen on his glass coffee table, much like the coffee table he had tied Brenda Schaefer to and cut himself severely. In fact, there was so much blood, witnesses could not determine exactly where Ignato had cut himself. He had tried to crawl to the kitchen and then his bedroom, but died alone, in pain and struggling for help leaving a trail of blood behind him. Perhaps in the next world, Ignato is finally meeting his maker that he so desperately was crying out for. Thank you for listening to MurderCast, raising the bar for true crime podcasts. Like what you hear? You can support MurderCast by clicking the donate button on our website. Your support allows us to more frequently research edit and publish episodes reoccurring donations are an easy way to support the podcast and helps us create the high quality true crime content that you enjoy this is milko davis for murder cast